Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the start of the year 2000, a video game called The Sims was released. It was a life simulator that gave players free reign over the lives of characters they created. Part of the appeal of this new computer game was the ability to be an all-powerful creator, but also an all-powerful destroyer. We asked people on Twitter to send us voice notes of the most creative ways they murdered their Sims, and things got pretty dark. Hello, I'm Tom, uh, and I used to murder my sims by setting a big hi-fi system in front of an open fireplace, uh, and then when that caught fire, putting a trail of uh, pine furniture around the room uh, and trapping them in a literal ring of fire. Uh, the best way to kill them was having a house party and inviting everyone around where you have about 10 to 15 sims and you cram them all into one room where you delete the door, put down loads of rugs and put a fireplace and then get one sim to light the fire and then you would watch the fire spread throughout the room killing each sim one by one and watching them drop off like flies was so satisfying. Not proud of it, but uh, every now and then I used to do the classic circle a fence around my ill-fated protagonist and let people live their lives around them while they wet themselves and cried and eventually perished. So I made an outhouse and every time there was like a dirty plate or something, I would go on to like build mode or buy mode and move the plate from the regular house into this outhouse. If you have enough like dirty, smelly plates, you know, when the flies start to come, after days and days and days and days and days, eventually the flies will like swarm your sim and eat them. Um, yeah, death by flies. Even if people weren't killing their sims, it became a space to enact cruelty, vindictive fantasies. We're talking adultery, torture dungeons in the basement, a functioning model of capitalism. 20 years later, the Sims franchise is still going strong. There's something about the game that is still resonating with players today. But before we get into all of that, I think we need some answers. Tara, did you also brutally kill off your Sims? Were certain Sims left to perish in fires? Did some fail to get out of swimming pools? Did they occasionally die of starvation? That's one secret I'll never tell. It's the 21st century. The future is now, now, now. The winner. 
What date is a commuter going to think it is when we get to 2000? This is 2020, a pop culture podcast by Message Heard. I'm Simran Hans, a writer and film critic for The Observer. And I'm Tara Joshi, a music journalist. Every week, we look back at some of the most influential movies, TV shows, books and artists of the year 2000. This week, we're doing something a little different. We're talking about a video game. Okay, so I'm very hyped about this episode because we're talking about The Sims. For me, honestly, this game really helped me through this year even. But back in 2000, I didn't own it myself, but an older friend did have it. So I would watch her play it sometimes. And then in the year 2004, I got my own copy of Sims 2. But I guess it's just a rare example of something that I actually did engage with in the year 2000, which doesn't happen that often on this podcast. But while I will try and hold back on too many puns around your name, uh, have you ever been a simmer, Simran? <laughs> Very good. This, I'm sure, will be the first of many. Um, I, like you, had Sims 2, which obviously came a little bit later, but I've never really been into video games at sort of no point throughout my childhood or my adult life was that ever really a thing that I did with any regularity. And I, I guess we'll sort of like get on to the nuts and bolts of how The Sims works. But I didn't really have any of the cheat codes and was not really smart enough to be Googling those myself at that age. And so got quite frustrated with the slowness of the world building. I preferred my stories and dramas to be ready-made in books, movies, etc. So yeah, my, my experiences of The Sims are pretty limited. I have like a rudimentary grasp of like how to play it and what it is, but I didn't really um, get into it that much. That's really interesting. Like, cause I think the guy who made The Sims, Will Wright, who we'll get into him in a little bit, but his purpose for creating it was basically off the back of the idea that, well, people like films and TV shows and books about real life so why wouldn't they like games that were just real life as well i think also like this is very unfortunately revealing of my personality which seemed to have formed at an early age where i don't love doing stuff that i'm not automatically good at (laughs) i respect that (laughs) you know i'm not always to my detriment actually not always about the uh the process sometimes i'm a bit fixated on the result which is so not the vibe of sims right yeah sims is very much about just enjoying the way that you get there okay so because i don't have that same emotional bond with the game tara give me the cheat codes why are we talking about the sims okay so first of all rosebud and motherload are the main cheat codes you need to get by on sims but i'll start with some background on the game for anyone else out there who's a bit of a sims noob So The Sims was released in February 2000 by one of the world's biggest game companies, that's EA. And even their branding game is incredibly strong. Like, you can't hear the name without hearing their intro tag. EA Games. Challenge everything. The Sims was created by a man called Will Wright. And basically, as we mentioned earlier, it's a life simulator. So on the surface, it's pretty mundane. And like you said, you know, it is a bit slow, really. You're creating characters, you build them homes, you send them to school, you send them to work. When they get back, they have to cook and clean. 
you build up or break up their relationships. And uh, if you're feeling spicy, you make them do woohoo. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, I'm just already dying. <laughs> I genuinely forgot about that. I forgot that that's what sim sex was called. Um, I would love to say that I forgot, but obviously that would imply that I hadn't been playing it this year. So, <laughs> so as the game developed, so did the Sims. They started to have aspirations, really detailed personalities and nuanced needs. And the game was a huge hit. As of 2019, EA reported that the Sims franchise has earned in excess of $5 billion. There are now four versions of the original game, dozens of expansion packs. My personal favourites were University and Nightlife, which, you know, very me. And there was also a separate medieval spin-off game, which I only found out about in doing the research for this episode. And I'm so angry I didn't know about it before. I can't even begin to imagine what that might look like. Um, I'm excited to find out. I read this year that there was even a reality TV show in the States called Sparked, where people competed against each other inside of The Sims 4 to win a $100,000 cash prize. Yeah, so while, you know, obviously there's a lot of nostalgia in us talking about something like The Sims, especially for people around our age, it's something that's still very popular in present day. So EA said in 2019 they saw a 40% rise in players, and earlier this year, firstly they briefly made the game available for free, and then they had it for a heavily reduced price for quite a bit of lockdown. Why? Um... Just an act of benevolence or... I guess so. And well, I think the thing is as well, once you're in, after a while, the initial version of Sims 4 starts getting a bit boring, but then you have to pay for all these expansion packs if you want to make it a bit more exciting. So I guess it's sort of that notion of once you're in, you're hooked. And it kind of worked. Like Me and a lot of my friends were all playing way too much Sims over lockdown. So what you're telling me is that, much like Beyonce, The Sims is a cultural mainstay that has actually grown in relevance over the last 20 years. I I think we could argue that. I really want to learn about why The Sims continues to be so massively popular. But first, let's discuss why people started playing it in the first place. So I think there are two main reasons why The Sims has hooked people the way it has. Firstly, there's obviously good old-fashioned escapism, but also I'd argue it offers an opportunity for a kind of meaningful introspection. Okay, so I get the first part. Obviously, you know, a lot of people play video games to sort of escape their realities, but tell me more about what you mean by kind of an opportunity for introspection. So I guess it's worth saying that Even the idea of escapism with The Sims is not as straightforward as that might seem. There's this really incredible episode of The Nod, which is a podcast hosted by Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings, and it's about black life. And there's this episode called Saving Grace. And it's really, I found it really tough to listen to, but... It's a really tough listen. But it is really beautiful in that it's about this young girl who was incredibly close to her grandmother um, and then she loses her grandma and she has been playing Sims since she was a kid and age 15 she loses this person who's very important to her and she doesn't actually get the opportunity to say goodbye 
And so she creates her grandma as a sim and just plays with her. She builds her a garden and it's it's an opportunity for her to kind of say goodbye at a different pace. I hadn't really thought about kind of using a video game as a way of moving through grief before I listened to this episode. Yeah, no, it's, it's really powerful. Um, and I don't know, me personally, when I play The Sims, I can't create people I know. Like, I find that too difficult, but I thought it was really interesting, her decision to do that. And then, you know, eventually the decision she makes to actually say goodbye because she realizes that, you know, she can't hold on in this way. Um, So initially she has aging turned off so she can just spend as much time as she wants with her grandma. And then she gets to a point where she's like, actually, I just need to do this and let go. And it's beautiful. But yeah, it, it sort of highlights this space that we don't talk about in video games where we always talk about the fantasy element and you know creating nice scenarios I guess um but the idea of creating something rooted in reality but something more difficult and using that as a coping mechanism for something more difficult I think it's really beautiful well I think the key kind of thing here is that you know in a video game you're in control you're the author um you're able to engineer scenarios and then kind of move through them yourself rather than passively experience them and so i guess like in that sense it's sort of logical that maybe you would use the game to process whatever it is you're going through yeah i so i think but would you say that's like a, a form of escape or would you say that's a form of introspection i think it's kind of both right because she's figuring out her grief and she's figuring out this saying goodbye but she's also kind of using the sims as a way to escape the reality of the situation so when she does eventually say goodbye to her grandma in the game she does it on her terms she does it in a way that she was never granted in real life but initially she's kind of escaping that you know she every time the grandmother sims invites her sim over she will say yes so she can go hang out with her grandma her sim has a kid and, you know, her grandma is there like playing with her kid. And, you know, it's just, it's really, it's like crafting this fantasy world that she won't get to have. And it is both. Yeah. This kind of brings us onto the idea of builders versus livers. You know, what kind of a player are you? Are you the sort of person who is more invested in creating and constructing a world around your characters? Or is it more important to you, more interesting to you what those characters do? I'm wondering what you think Autumn, the the girl in the the story who created this garden for her grandmother and and created her grandmother as a sim, whether you think she's a builder or a liver. So I think that those two terms, they're taken from this GQ article, which argues that those are the two main ways that people play. But I think Autumn's story actually shows something that's a lot more nuanced than that, because she spends a lot of time crafting her grandmother's house exactly as it was she downloads all these extra parts from like um there's a website called the black simmer so all these things that are kind of very specific to like a black american household that you couldn't get on just the normal sims and she spends so long making it perfect and then she creates her grandma as she remembers her and spends a really long time just doing that aspect of it But then obviously she's doing that in order to just spend some time having her own sim live with her grandma, like spend time with her. So I think it's both. What about you? What what do you see yourself as? I'm probably more of a liver than a builder. I, I like giving my sims nice houses and I like, you know, 
building the sort of places that I would never be able to afford. I like my Sims to have swimming pools, you know, just beautiful gardens, that kind of thing. But I don't spend that long on that side of things. And you can get like pre-made rooms, which are like pre-furnished and stuff. And I'll maybe add bits to them, but I don't get that into that side of things. I'm much more interested in like how characters play out with each other and like personal development and that kind of thing. You said earlier that you sort of don't tend to create versions of people you know, but would you say your Sims are sort of more often than not a version of yourself? You know, there's research that has been done that suggests that most people kind of create their Sims as as versions of themselves. Yeah, I think that particularly over lockdown, the first Sim that I made during lockdown was just like me, but able to live a more exciting life because obviously I was not doing anything. What was her name, by the way? I, I guess like for context, I had dyed my hair red at that point in lockdown uh, because I have been having an erratic manic pixie dream girl year. But uh, so I had red hair. So I gave a sim red hair and um, I called her Ariel because I lack imagination, apparently. <laughs> um, and I think I started her off as a young adult. So I sent her to university and just, you know, she was like learning loads because I think I've been missing learning recently. And then she was a painter. And then she, you know, she has this like really like exciting, interesting, romantic life and all these great friendships. And it was just, you know, being able to live this life that I was not having because I was locked down in a flat in East London doing nothing. You know, most of the time, like sort of as you alluded to earlier, a lot of The Sims is really mundane and boring. Like, you do still have to do all the really like you know the dishes are dirty the you know and your sims get upset if everything's dirty after a while yeah so like what happens if you if your sims don't wash the dishes they start getting really like sad and despondent because the environment around them is not very nice and then you know you get flies and it just it makes them really bummed out and then they'll stop doing stuff because they're so unhappy again i think it points to the different ways that people play the sims because some people actually really like just recreating very mundane things of normal life and just playing out a very basic existence you know um just having the kids come home and do their homework and like you know making a meal going to bed and not having it be more complicated than that whereas some people and I, I probably would include myself in this a little bit some people like getting a bit dramatic with it and giving their sims like ridiculous storylines um there are all these incredible threads on Reddit of the wild things people have made their sims do. Tell me some of the, the craziest ones. There's one where someone got their sim to impregnate like everyone in town. Uh, I wonder like what the repercussions of that are in like this, the world of sims. Well, when people realize that you've been cheating, they don't, they're not very happy about it. And there's lots of slapping, lots of like depression and one thing and we'll get into this a bit later properly but um as sims has developed it sort of has become more attuned to a lot of like more contemporary language around stuff so for example if your sim loses their best friend or their partner they're like very sad um they're grieving they can call up a sadness hotline like the detail in it now is just incredible but bizarre but anyway i'm digressing um i guess basically i'm trying to spin the conversation this way so we can talk about something called the paint goblin oh my god so tara sent me this article in the cut in new york magazine by this person who had created a painting goblin 
um, in their kind of Sims universe. And, you know, they said that the first thing that they do is as soon as they get their house is like create this character. It's like a goblin with like green skin. It's obese. Um, and like its main characteristics are like it doesn't like going outside and it loves art. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so she uh, creates this hermit creature who is quite content to just stay in the basement, which has like all of the things that it needs to function. So it has like a kitchen and a toilet, etc. But it doesn't have any sort of stairs. It can't escape and it just like stays in this hovel under the house and creates this art, which it eventually gets really good at and then sells the paintings that it's making. So it becomes very rich. And then the family who live on top Uh, able to kind of like profit off of this goblin's artwork yeah and they just have no idea about the dirty little secret that's living under their stairs providing for them it reminds me a little bit of uh, the movie parasite (laughs) now i'm like where did parasite get this idea from (laughs) has bong joon ho been playing the sims did you ever make a painting goblin i never did um i guess when i was younger i used to you know do all the chaotic stuff like you know remove the steps from the pool so they can't get out just because it's you know it's a game it's kind of bizarre and funny but this year when I was playing the sims I actually couldn't do any of that stuff like I was really and I couldn't do anything that I thought would be actually willfully cruel to my sims um I just wanted them all to be having a nice time and I hated when any of them died I like turned off aging for a while because I didn't want it to happen um Anyway, I was going through some stuff this year. I just, I just feel like this idea of the painting goblin is so dark and sad to sort of create something whose only purpose is to like provide money for the family. Like we can get onto the kind of the capitalist uh, implications of The Sims later, but that really like disturbed me. Yeah, and I think again, if you troll the internet, there's a lot of weird stories about what people do on The Sims, and I guess. It's just interesting when you put it in the framing of like, are people playing as themselves when they play The Sims? Because I think a lot of the time people are able to play out things they would never play out in real life, you know? It seems like this is like a whole kind of subgenre of video games and i apologize to our listeners who are gamers my my knowledge is is very top line from what i understand there are all kinds of simulation games out there there's sort of the seemingly mundane ones like train simulator farming simulator or the rapper aj tracy's personal favorite goat simulator and i mentioned aj tracy here because I once did an interview with him where he played Goat Simulator on his device next to me for the entirety of the interview. That's incredible. What actually happens on Goat Simulator? There's a goat. It makes a very... What what is like the name of the noise that goats make? Like a bleat? Like a Yeah, there's like a lot of bleating. I did not ask him really to explain the game because that would have revealed that I was not already across it. (laughs) You were trying to play it cool. Like, yeah, I know Goat Simulator. Oh, yeah, Goat Simulator. (laughs) What do you think it is about simulation that people find so stimulating? Um, Again, I guess it's 
it's a bit of both of the things we've been talking about. Like on the one hand, you have the escapist fantasy element of being able to do things you would never normally get to do. There was one like roller coaster tycoon where you owned a theme park and you just built all the rides, which, you know, is not something kids would normally ever get to do. So kind of cool creating that world for yourself. But equally, just being able to do the really mundane things in life, but being able to do them in a way that feels like you have a level of control over them. And, you know, things can never get that out of hand, really. In games, you can pause it if you're getting frustrated. You can reload it. I guess there's this level of it being in your hands entirely whereas in the real world even the most mundane things there's like an element that's out of your hands and maybe it's easier to kind of lock into a game if you already have some real life context for it you know if you're playing something that's sort of so far from your reality maybe it's it's harder to to get into it yeah So in the New Yorker profile that we mentioned earlier, the writer describes The Sims by saying, life for a Sim is the pursuit of happiness, but happiness depends on social interaction and consumption, and consumption requires money. So basically, money equals happiness. Exactly. You know, there's something to be said for The Sims arriving in the noughties at this time of optimism and affluence that we keep talking about throughout the series. You know, this is a time where equality of opportunity is emphasised over the equality of outcome. We weren't in a period of austerity. People had money and they bought stuff. The emphasis was on individual choice, individual achievement and individual purchases. It seems like the world of The Sims really takes this idea and runs with it. Yeah, 100%. The characters completely believe this idea of money equals happiness. The Guardian did a 20th anniversary piece about The Sims this year and described the game as a beguiling capitalist fantasy. When you say beguiling capitalist fantasy, how does that look in the context of the game? So I guess sort of touching on what you were talking about with early 2000s, equality of opportunity, basically that's something that's rooted in The Sims because every new Sim you create immediately has a set amount of money to play with, like from the get-go everyone is on that level playing field at the very least and in terms of careers promotions are fully dependent on meritocracy you know like if your sim is putting in extra work then they will get a promotion how very true to real life (laughs) meritocracy i've heard it's all true no um there's not a gender pay gap and there are no other forms of discrimination either so it's kind of like a, a capitalist utopia Yeah, so there are arguments around the time of the original Sims coming out. There's this academic paper by this guy, Miguel Sicart, where he talks about the Sims as this like late stage capitalist ideal utopia. Yeah, kind of like if if capitalism worked, what would the world look like? Exactly. What could be achieved? But he argues that the Sims basically requires people to be a certain type of person in order to do well in that world and it's worth saying that this is in the sims one when there weren't such defined characteristic traits as there are now but at the time wait break that down for me a bit more because i have obviously only played the sims 2 very briefly so when you say that there are kind of more characteristics available in terms of sort of selecting the characters or building the characters what are we talking 
So like on The Sims 4 now, you know, you can have a Sim who's gloomy, who will just every now and again get a bit sad for no real reason. Um, you can have Sims who are loners, who don't like being around other people. Or you can have an extrovert who has to have time with other people. Like you can have a Sim who's a music lover, who just loves talking about music to other people and just loves standing and listening to music. You, like all So these- basically what you're telling me is that you could recreate Rob Gordon's The Sim. You could. Oh my God, we should do that. That, 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 A whole different spin-off episode. But um, so this guy back in 2003, I think it is, he makes a Kurt Cobain character. Is this like a case study in the article? It's a case study in the article about, I guess, the idea of what happens if you make a misfit. Because the idea is that Kurt Cobain is someone who was very successful, but it's within his own terms. So it's like that simulation is asking you, could you create a misfit and then have them succeed or are the parameters kind of more defined? Yeah, so it, it's it's basically, yeah, can someone who's a misfit, who isn't working in the way that someone is like supposed to be working, you know, if they're just staying at home playing guitar and not interacting with other people, will they still be able to become successful? Like, is that... Possible. Like, like, can you create the sort of spontaneous circumstances of life in Sims? Yeah, exactly. And so he makes this character who's based on Kurt Cobain. And the idea is that he's someone who, even though in terms of society in general, he's someone we would consider as having been successful, but within the framework of this like strange capitalist utopia that the Sims purportedly has can someone like that who's not contributing to society in a way that's measurable in that way like can he be successful and will he be a happy sim and the game basically goes into this weird autopilot because he doesn't like spending all his time alone he wants to like go out and get a job and earn money and you, you, it's just again I think it's slightly different now in The Sims, but the initial version of it I guess makes him want things and makes him want more than what he has in that sense. So he's a total product of the system. Yeah, even when you try and, you know, make him rage against the machine. Um, But equally, I guess it's worth pointing out that the idea of it being a utopia is kind of questionable anyway, you know, that people can still get in trouble for not paying their bills, people will still die of starvation. Like, it's not like everyone is immediately happy just because this system is in place. I'm kind of interested to know how the cheat codes figure into all of this because surely if the cheats work, then the creators have anticipated that cheats will be made or, you know, the system has been built to be gamed and cheated. And so if the creators are kind of inviting that, you know, what does that mean? It's funny because the cheats have been built into the game. It's encouraged that you cheat. I think even like Will Wright has said that he doesn't play the game without cheating. And I think on either the Sims website or the EA website, the cheats are there for you to find if you're not already aware of them. It's part of the game. And I think it is kind of down to the fact that it's making fun of that system a little bit. Like you can take this very long mundane route of trying to make your Sims happy or you can just cheat and make them happy But at the end of it, if the only framing of their happiness is just the fact that they want more stuff, that's kind of grim. Will Wright 
the creator of The Sims, says that he intended the game as a parody of consumerism. He says, because if you sit there and build a big mansion that's all full of stuff without cheating, you realize that all these objects end up sucking up all your time when they've been promising to save you time. What do you think he means by that? Well, I mean, it's something I think about in my day-to-day life as regards even stuff like email and stuff where there's all, and like phones all this incredible technology that we now have that's supposed to save you time but actually ends up sucking up all of my time um but I think it's something that's kind of funny and interesting on sims that a lot of them will have desires for stuff that's like you know this sim will be happier if they own an item that's worth over 1,000 simoleons, which is sim currency. I don't think I've touched on that before. They have like weird small aspirations like that, that, you know, I need this product and then I will be happy. But that happiness that they get from that is very fleeting. And you start to realize the more that you play sims that like a lot of the goals that they have pertaining to owning stuff and even like job promotions and stuff the happiness they get from those things is quite short-lived versus like you know they have a kid they they meet someone and like they have a romantic connection like or they're just learning to paint and getting better at painting those sorts of things make them much happier for a bit longer i think it's interesting because you know the way you describe it maybe it isn't purely a kind of model of consumerism that the sims are encouraged to aspire towards but also like it is still pretty traditional and pretty conservative if their happiness is derived from having a 2.4 kids family or having a stable house or yeah no i know what you mean or having a promotion in their job yeah i don't disagree but i think it's interesting because like so some people i think would consider the sims to be kind of radical in some of the ways that it presents the world so in the year 2000 when the sims comes out it immediately has the option of like gay romance which was like you know gay marriage wasn't an option in much of the western world at that point but it was available on this game the sims also famously allowed you to not just frame your characters within the gender binary so i so think you could have non-binary sims you can have non-binary sims um which in terms of how the game works ultimately just means, you know, you don't just have to dress your sim in like men's clothes, like everything is available. But I think there was an official inbuilt character who I think in 2016, who is like officially non-binary. So I think, again, they're kind of leaning into this like progressiveness that you weren't necessarily seeing elsewhere in media at that time. It's interesting to me that the creators of sims seem to be responding to the culture changing and moving in a more kind of open and progressive direction but the other thing that i think they're quite progressive about i mentioned mental health as regards you know the sadness hotline and stuff but until quite recently there was a character trait that was called insane and the little cartoon icon for it was literally a a straight jacket so not great but they have now changed that trait to erratic but the straight jacket icon remains and other sims don't like them, which I don't think is very good commentary on mental health, really. It seems like on a lot of things they're playing catch up still, but they are open to the conversation and sort of working to catch up. The Sims is meant to represent the world that we live in. And so obviously it should represent the players too, you know, It's not just a monolithic um, person playing The Sims. Lots of different 
people of various ethnicities, sexualities, body types will be playing The Sims and, and potentially creating versions of themselves or versions of people that they're familiar with. It's interesting that you draw out gay relationships as something that was acceptable within the framework of The Sims, but I'm wondering kind of how good the game was on other things like race. Um, so the interesting thing, I guess, is that when it comes to race and when it comes to sexuality and all these things, again, there's like no discrimination in terms of like body shape and whatever, like the the idea of attraction or job availability or whatever is entirely to do with your Sims personality. It will never be about um, how they are presenting themselves, I guess. But one thing that still requires quite a lot of work is representation of black people within The Sims, I guess. Yeah, and, and even in the um, the anecdote that we spoke about earlier about Autumn creating her, her grandmother, who's African-American, she had to kind of find a patch that would help her make a black Sim that didn't exist within the kinds of official expansion packs. You know, this was something that somebody had modified and, and made themselves. Yeah, so while there have always been sims of different ethnicities available to play within the game, like it is ultimately still something that was evidently made by and maybe intended for white people, just in terms of like the types of hair available, even just, you know, it claims to not have any religion within the game which is fair enough because that would get complicated but you know there are still like holiday packages with like christmas trees and menorahs but that's kind of it so i think that with black simmers particularly charlie brinkhurst who is a friend and a colleague she wrote this great article for dazed about communities of black simmers and the kind of modifications that a lot of people are making to make sims with better and more realistic skin tones for example um better like hair options even just like more inclusive food options so things feel a bit truer to life i guess at the end of the day it's a video game it's not real life and i'm wondering how important you think it is that you know real life is accurately represented in this sort of simulated space I guess because it is a life simulator and therefore a lot of the fun people derive from this is people being able to play some version of themselves. So to not automatically be included in what that version of the world looks like is kind of telling, I think, of what maybe the developers of this game perceived as like, you know, what the average person is like, maybe. Um, And also... Maybe it's worth touching on, and this might be a reach, I don't know, but it's something that I feel like in conversations pertaining to like virtual reality or starting to have now, and with video games as well, the idea that these things create a kind of empathy. So, you know, in the same way as reading a book about something you didn't know about, just the idea of seeing the world through all these different types of viewpoint, I guess. So if The Sims is only showing like one type of worldview, really, then how inclusive can that ever be? In spite of some of the limitations of The Sims, it still undeniably had a huge impact on pop culture. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of some of the Simlish covers of pop songs that exist. I am not, actually. Uh, Where should I start? I guess one of the big ones is Lily Allen. 
So you're telling me that Lily Allen got in the studio and, and sang in Simlish? Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of legit stars who have just recorded Simlish covers of their already giant pop songs. And, and Simlish is the sort of fake language that they speak in The Sims. Yeah, you know, it, it's not a fake language though. Like I think there are some things that actually do translate. It's not just gibberish. I don't think all of it's gibberish, but I could be making this up or I've been playing far too much Sims. <laughs> who are some of the stars who did Simlish covers? So we're talking Jason Derulo... Natasha Bedingfield on the most recent Sims Ari Lennox is involved Carly Rae Jepsen even our Destiny's Child pal Kelly Rowland wow um why do you think these covers work so well I mean they're just kind of fun and so when you're playing in the game your sims can listen to the radio and you can pick what station they're going to listen to so will they listen to the pop station will they listen to classical will they listen to hip-hop and a lot of those songs will just be weird Simlish covers of actual songs that you would maybe listen to yourself on radio. So it's kind of a fun, again, weird simulation thing. Um, and can you like tell the listeners, Tara, about the Katy Perry collaboration? Because she didn't just record a song in Simlish. No, she did not just record a song. She created a whole um, expansion pack for, I think, for Sims 3. So this would have been the Teenage Dream era. The, the cake era, as you call it, Tara. Yes, <laughs> I am a music critic, so I use very serious terminology. What do you think this says about the consumerist nature of the game, that it's being used to promote a corporate partnership between an artist or a brand and The Sims? I think it's it's a, an interesting insight into maybe where we're at more generally in like media, because even this year, The Sims did a partnership with Disney to promote the fact that there was a new Star Wars theme park. So there were all these Star Wars extras um, and you could play as Kylo Ren, um, which is exciting for some of us who fancy Adam Driver. But I I, I don't know who I'm talking about. Just uh, wouldn't be me, I promise. Wouldn't uh, be you or Ariel. Wouldn't be me or Ariel, exactly. Um, I still haven't downloaded it, but I'm very excited to. Um, but anyway, the I guess... It's kind of like what we were talking about with reality TV even, how now with reality television, it's like inbuilt into it that you see the outfits and you can buy it and you're sort of being subtly advertised to through a lot of the media we're consuming now. Um, and I just feel like that's just another part of it that, yeah, even in games, you're kind of low-key getting a kind of product placement. As a non-Sims player, is the whole soundtrack to The Sims done by pop stars? No, no, no. So actually the most famous Sims music is actually the music that is used in build mode. So when you're building your house up, there's this sort of new age jazz music that plays. Oh, wow. Um, And there's a Vice article which gets really deep into this, which if you're like a big dork for game soundtracks again like someone like ariel might be um then you might find it really interesting as well but because the sims was one of the best selling games of that year and it sold more than a lot of albums that came out that year the article makes the point that actually it's among the most listened to and best selling pieces of music of that year the build mode music i guess the article also makes the argument that for a lot of people 
because they were kids when they were playing this, this might be the first time they listened to any type of jazz, really. Which, you know, again, not true for me, because my dad is a big jazz head, but for normal people. So that build music is is kind of a gateway for... A gateway. Young jazz heads. I guess so. I like to think, yeah, all the South London jazz kids, one once upon a time, were just building houses on The Sims. It's also, it's kind of funny because that music is like a little bit more relaxed and it's meant to be uplifting, but kind of sentimental. But the bi-mode music is like a lot more like peppy, trying, you know, get you like pumped up to buy stuff. <laughs> the build mode music, listening to it now for the first time since probably 2004, it is... It's more musical than I thought it would be. I I imagined it to sound more like processed. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, some nice, easy listening piano, just very soothing. Um, I actually, yeah, it's maybe nice to give you some of the quotes about it because I think it's a nice way to think about it. We'd throw around some catchphrases, hope, dream with a hint of sadness because you're growing up and you're leaving behind something that you really enjoy. And you're also looking ahead to a place where you hopefully will be filled with joy and wonder. (laughs) Simra has gone very quiet, (laughs) which I think once again is a valid indicator of how I've gone way too deep (laughs) into this episode. Or maybe the build mode music just transported me to a place where I too was filled with hope, joy and wonder. It's it's a 2020 must listen. Well, hope you've enjoyed us talking about The Sims as much as Tara has. And if so, please leave us a rating and a review in your podcast app. And do tell all your friends about the show. It will really help us out. And it will also help you fill your socialization need bar. So two birds, one stone. If you'd like us to cover a pop culture phenomenon from the year 2000 that we haven't yet, you can give us a suggestion through the link in the show notes where you'll also find links to all the things we referenced in this episode. You can also get in touch with us on social media at mh2020everywhere. That's the words, not the number. We'll be back next week talking about some of the most memorable film soundtracks from the year 2000. Think Coyote Ugly, The Beach, and of course, Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. If you know, you know. 2020 is a Message Heard production. Written and presented by me, Tara Joshi, and our very own Sim, Simran Hans. Produced and edited by Jake Otayevich and Emily Wally. Sandra Ferrari is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Matt Huxley. <laughs>